morning. Welcome to worship at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. We are glad that you are here on this third Sunday of Easter. During the season of 50 days, we remember the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus and our promised new life. Will you join me in the call to worship? Living God, when our risen Lord appeared to his disciples, he greeted them in peace and breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. Breathe your spirit upon us as we gather to welcome Christ with glad hearts and joyful voices. Meet us here, we pray. Open our ears to hear you speaking and our hearts to respond with joy. Fashion us into an Easter people and send us out to proclaim what we have seen and heard. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Our opening hymn is Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Will you pray with me? O source of all living things, we praise you for the power of recurring recreation of life we see around us and for the timeless resurrection of Jesus our Christ. May these signs inspire us to manifest your presence in our relationships and actions that those cries of joy first heard on Easter morning may echo through the centuries to our time and place. Amen. I would like to invite the attention of the children for our children's sermon. It was a pleasure to join with you for a few minutes in Sunday school this morning. Sunday school is on Zoom, so if you have not yet joined our Sunday school class, I hope that you will. Um, We can send the link out again this week. It's really fun. It's taught by Dr. Kelly Martin, and it was really fun to be with you, to hear what you're learning, and to hear that wonderful prayer. Thank you for that blessing this morning. So it is spring in Martinsville. That's the season that we are in. I have never in my entire life seen so many daffodils. Martinsville has more daffodils than I'm convinced any other place on earth. And everything is blooming. The dogwoods are blooming. The redbuds are blooming. The Bradford pears are blooming. It's just this incredible amount of color and beauty. My car is normally gray. Now it's green, covered with pollen, but that's okay. It's worth it. But spring is just kind of an amazing time because if you think back two months ago to what, what the world looked like, say you were visiting from another planet and you came to Earth and you looked at what things looked like two months ago. Everything was kind of colorless. It, it would be impossible to imagine that you know, just two months later, we would see so much color and so much new life from what looks to be dead. Um, if you've ever seen a flower bulb, you know that they look like rocks. I mean, they, don't, they certainly don't look like something that could, could sprout and then have a beautiful flower in a multitude of colors, depending upon what kind of bulb it is. It's just almost beyond imagining if you've never seen it before. Well, it's kind of nice that spring coincides with our season of Easter. Did you know that Easter is not just one day? Easter is a whole season of 50 days. And during those 50 days, we read about the times after Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples. There are seven times that he did that. Now, sometimes the disciples are locked away in a room. Sometimes we find them having gone back to work, back to what they were doing before they met Jesus. And Jesus appears to them, and, and they all have some history. They, they all have messed up in some way or another. Um, they have run away. They've fallen asleep when he asked them to watch out. They have denied him. They have betrayed him. So they have that in their hearts. They know what they've done. And Jesus appears to them, and I imagine they feel a little bit embarrassed because they know. They know that history. But what Jesus does when he comes to them in these seven 
appearances after his resurrection is that he, he tells them that it's okay, that he forgives them, that he wants to be in relationship with them, that he loves them, and that he has more for them to do. So at the end of this season, we have Pentecost when we will get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we will see what the disciples do then. But for now, Jesus is just kind of helping them to understand that even with all that history, that they are loved. That's a message for us too. When we think that we have messed up and it can't get fixed, or we think the end is the end and something's never going to get better, Jesus always reminds us that the end is no longer the end, that new life, just like spring, is always possible. Most of all, Jesus wants every single one of us to know that we are infinitely precious to him and loved beyond measure. It was true for the disciples, and it's true for us. So please remember that and realize that that's something you get to share, the good news that in God's eyes you are infinitely precious and loved beyond measure. Thanks for joining me this morning. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. As we move into our time of reading scripture, let us open our hearts and our minds. Let us pray our prayer of illumination and ask for God's spirit that we may be awakened to hear the words of Holy Scripture. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our New Testament lesson this morning is found in the third chapter of Acts, beginning with the 12th verse. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by your own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the 24th chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the 36th verse. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. 
They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I have a number of videos that I watch repeatedly, and one of my favorite viral videos is a video of a little five-year-old boy named Noah Ritter, who, when he was five, was interviewed by a local news station at some county fair he was attending in Pennsylvania. He actually takes the microphone away from the reporter and he riffs on the questions she asks. And he uses the word apparently all the time, six or seven times in a minute and a half, as he comes to describe what he knows as true in his own little sociological cosmos. Apparently, he says, I've never been on TV before. Apparently, I don't watch the news because I'm a kid he says when she asks him about the news. And then he starts talking more personally about what goes on in his household, and he says, every time I get the remote, apparently, Grandpa has to watch the Powerball. It's really funny. The video got the attention of Ellen DeGeneres, and she, and, she had Noah on her show, and then she sent him out as a roving reporter um, to... Um, interview celebrities and to visit some dinosaur museum. But look him up. His name is Noah Ritter, and the videos are so funny. Well, the disciples are, are kind of in the same boat in this morning's gospel text. Apparently, Jesus has risen from the dead, and apparently, they don't know what that means exactly. So as they try to make sense of his presence in their midst, they try to figure out what is true in their own sociological cosmos. And Jesus needs to offer them some help because they're really not grasping what is going on. Now, for the past few weeks, we have been reading from John's Gospel. After the discovery of the empty tomb, Jesus appears to the disciples once, and Thomas is not there. So he appears to them again, and this time Thomas is there. Both times the disciples are gathered in a locked room, and Jesus just walks through a wall. 
Apparently, he is just suddenly somehow in the room. Now, remember that the disciples believed in ghosts. Earlier in his ministry, when the disciples are weathering a storm at sea, Jesus comes walking across the water to them to still the storm and to calm them. And they think he is a ghost. Some people still believe in ghosts. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, believed in ghosts. And one of the most famous ghosts in England, Old George, reportedly haunted one of the parsonages in which John grew up. But the risen Jesus is not a ghost. He wants his followers to know that. He was dead. That was not a mirage. An early church heresy said that Jesus hadn't really died. He'd gone into a coma or something and, and then came out of it on Easter Sunday. The early church rejected that notion. For Jesus to be fully human, he had to die the death that we all will know. Jesus is not half human and all divine, or half human and half divine. Jesus, according to Orthodox theology, is fully human and fully divine. So he really died, and he really rose from the dead in bodily form. He was not a ghost. He was flesh and blood. Now, in Luke's gospel, unlike John's gospel, Jesus doesn't appear to the disciples in a locked room. Several women, as well as Peter, had seen the empty tomb but had not seen Jesus. And then two of his followers encounter Jesus on the road to Emmaus, but they don't recognize him, though he walks beside them and talks with them all afternoon. They invite him to their home, and it is not until he breaks bread with them that they recognize him, and he opens their hearts to the scriptures and what they say about him. They tell the disciples the next day, and in the midst of that telling, Jesus is suddenly with them all. And though he says, peace be with you, when he greets them, they are terrified and think they are seeing a ghost, apparently. So Jesus is in the odd situation of having to convince them that he is alive. I remember a few years back, there was a Christian Century article by Peter Marty, who was um, the, the uh, editor of, of the publication. And he had written a about a man named Charles Hubbard, who also found himself in the rather odd situation of having to prove that he was alive and well. He was a Vietnam veteran, and one day he received a letter from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs informing him that he was dead and that his family needed to return thousands of dollars in benefits. His identity had been stolen and his checking account had been closed by the VA. And after making an extensive case for being alive, the VA informed him that it would take about eight months for him to be officially brought back to life. And that's when, they would ins that's when they would restore all of his benefits. Well, I don't know what it took Charles Hubbard to convince the VA that he was alive. Our morning text from Luke's gospel tells us how Jesus did that. The sound of his voice wasn't enough. He comes in and says, peace be with you. And all that did was throw the disciples into a panic. 
Then he shows them the wounds in his hands and feet. The text says that while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, which leads me to believe that they're still not quite convinced. So Jesus changes his tactics and asks if they have anything to eat. Now it's been several days since the Last Supper, but I don't think Jesus is asking for something to eat just because he's hungry. He is trying to show the disciples that he is not a ghost. So they give him some broiled fish, and the text says that he ate it in their presence. Then, just as he had in Emmaus, he begins to open the words of Scripture to them, quoting the prophecy about the Messiah suffering, dying, and rising from the dead on the third day. And then he says this, Thus, repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Well, now that they know who he is, now that they know that he has fulfilled prophecy by, in fact, suffering, dying, and rising from the dead on the third day, now it's time for them to be witnesses, to proclaim in his name repentance and forgiveness, which is all about turning toward God and away from anything that distracts us from God. He tells them to wait just a bit until they are clothed with power from on high, but he says it's coming. You are witnesses of these things, he told his disciples. Look at my hands and feet, and you will remember that you have life-giving stories to tell. Look at your hands and feet and recognize that you have life-giving stories yet to be written. Whenever I hear a joke about someone dying and meeting St. Peter at the pearly gates, it seems that St. Peter always gives some sort of entrance exam, some sort of question that has to be answered correctly. If that actually happens, I think from this morning's text that the question will be asked is, what have you done with your hands? And where have you gone with your feet? In other words, where has your faith journey taken you? And how has it made a difference to those who suffer, those who are broken, those who are poor, those who are imprisoned? It's a tough question, but Jesus calls us to be witnesses, and there's a certain responsibility, a certain call that that implies. What are the life-giving stories that we tell about him, and what are the life-giving stories our lives have yet to write? After Jesus' ascension, the disciples figure out that they are not just lucky recipients of Jesus's post-resurrection appearances, but that they now form a community, a community that embodies his life and his teaching and shows the world a new way of living. So they spend time encouraging one another in living out their new lives, telling these life-giving stories of Jesus and writing their own. They had been able to see God at work. And they had gotten to see it up close, see it up close and personal. They had been afraid, but they no longer were. They had found new strength and wisdom in themselves that they had not known they had.
That's where the story grabs me, and that's what I always wonder about. When Jesus first appears to his disciples in John's gospel, they are huddled together in a locked room. When he first appears to them, they are terrified. And I wonder about that in our own lives. What are our fears? Behind what locked doors are each of us hiding? What do we fear? Do we fear a difficult diagnosis or or loneliness or loss? Sometimes our fears are personal and sometimes they get played out on a national or an international scale. Underlying most of our fears, if not all of them, is the biggest fear of all, the fear of death, our own or of one whom we love. Our fears hold us captive. That was true for the disciples, and and Jesus sought to unlock them from that fear. And I imagine that he beckons us to come out of the locked, fearful places in our lives. How else can we move into the world and become the witnesses that he calls us to be? Jesus appeared after the resurrection to assure his followers that he lives and to put their fears at rest and to open their understanding of the scriptures and to commission them as witnesses of all that God has done and is doing in the world. Jesus declared his followers ready to be credible, reliable, ready witnesses in Jerusalem and to all nations because of the life-giving stories they had to tell. If he hadn't released them from their fear, if he hadn't reminded them by showing them the wounds in his hands and feet of the stories that they had shared and how love had ultimately prevailed, then Easter would have remained a one-time event that involved no more than a handful of people. That's not what happened, and we know that because of the book of Acts. Peter and the disciples were, in fact, loosed from their fear, and they did grasp the power of the stories that they had to tell, and they soon found out that 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 was enough to turn the Easter story into an Easter community whose life together would be a sign of God's ongoing activity in the world and Christ's life in it. Peter's audience that day wanted to know what they should do. Repent, Peter said, and turn toward God. He's telling them to reorient their lives, to forget everything that they thought they knew about who was really in charge in the world, to revise all of their ideas about what makes someone great or right or worthy of their attention, to wonder who really is at the front of the line and how things will turn out in the end. But once that reorientation takes place, watch out. Cautious people become daredevils, the disciples certainly did. People who once took everything they could take become philanthropists, and outsiders become insiders, and introverts become evangelists. There's just no limit to what God can do. That is what Peter says today in his sermon, become witnesses. He echoes Jesus' words from our gospel text, encouraging believers to tell their own life-giving stories and to write new ones as they live out their faith. He says, 
use your hands and your feet to translate the Easter story into an Easter community, into an Easter way of life that will last. Now, later we're told that Peter's sermon that day resulted in about 3,000 people being baptized. That's some altar call. But it is not a once upon a time, way back when kind of story. It's an ongoing story. And the wonderful thing is that we all get to play a part in it. We are the witnesses. And with the work of our hands and the journey of faith we undertake, we tell the story. Jesus asked his disciples to look at his hands and feet, and those hands and feet told quite a story of love. May God grant us grace that ours as well will tell that story of love. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Will you pray with me? Loving and eternal God, on this beautiful spring day, we look around us and see everything blooming and everything so beautiful. And yet when we turn on the news, we read of or see a Good Friday world. We see shootings in Chicago and Minneapolis that expose racial divides and inequities. We see mass shootings. There have been multiples this week, including one just last night. We see people suffering. In our own congregation, we see people who are facing surgery and facing difficult diagnoses. We know of people who are grieving. Lord, in the midst of a Good Friday world, we so need to be the witnesses that you call us to be. We need to be the witnesses that remind people that what looks like the end is not the end. What looks unchangeable is changeable. What looks hopeless can, in fact, hide the possible. Help us to be witnesses of the new life that is available to all through you. Help us to look beyond our own boundaries and barriers that keep us from telling ourselves the truth about that so that we can be witnesses, so that we can love and support a world that is in travail. Help us to be signs of hope. Help our hands and feet to tell a story of love, the story of your love for the world that regards each one of us as infinitely precious and loved beyond measure. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing hymn is Christ is Alive.
And now may you go forth in peace to tell the story of God's love with your hands and with your feet. And the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Oh.